Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. For some people, it's a person. That's a Messiah. You know, and if this person was in charge, then everything would be amazing. And for some people, it's an idea. For some people, it's an identity. And if I just had this identity, then that would save me. And then I would enter into this full, wonderful experience of life that's been evading me. But listen, no, it won't happen. These are all false messiahs. False messiahs don't deliver. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 33, in a message titled, The Messiah. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Jesus is here to deal with the real problem. You know, nothing's changed. That's the world we live in today. Everybody thinks the problem is political. The problem is social. The problem is economic. And if we can just get these things sorted out, if we can just get the right people in power, if we can just get the right social structure, if we can just get the right economic understanding and application, it's going to fix everything. That's the utopian mindset. We can bring about a kingdom. And even back in those days, and still today, people think in terms of a messianic age. You know, people will talk about that today. And what's a messianic age? It's the age of peace and prosperity, and, and it's going to come, and, and we're going to bring it in. And we're going to do away with these things, and, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to overthrow these people, and we're going to kick these guys out, and we're going to get ourselves in, and then we're going to really bring about utopia. We're going to bring about the messianic age. That's what they thought then. That's what people think today. But, of course, all of this is, it's just not reality. The problem is not primarily a material problem. It's a spiritual problem problem. The problems in the world are due to sin and the fact that mankind has joined in the cosmic rebellion against the creator of the universe. That's the problem. And Peter couldn't see that. So Peter's thinking just like people typically think, but he's also thinking like the devil thinks. No need to suffer. No need to do any of this. Basically, no need to do it God's way. We can do it ourselves. That's the essence of human rebellion. We don't need God. We don't need God to tell us what to do. We can do it ourselves. We can figure it out ourselves. Now, they were right about the big picture plan. Yes, there is going to be a messianic age. They were right about that. They were just wrong about how it was going to be initiated and how it was going to ultimately be realized. That's what they were wrong about. So Jesus, and I want you to go back with me to verse 31. Jesus in verse 31, he starts off his instruction by really you know, giving them, first of all, a word of encouragement. And the way he does that is by using this one little phrase concerning himself, the son of man. 
Now, what does that mean? Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll find Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man more than he referred to himself, himself as the Son of God, even though he did both. But most of the time, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. People ask me all the time, why did Jesus use that term, Son of Man? What does that mean? Well, there's two different meanings in Scripture. Uh, sometimes in Scripture, it just is a way of saying, it's just talking about a person, a human being. Like Ezekiel is often called a son of man. And you, son of man, says the Lord. And he's speaking to Ezekiel. It's just a, a, a way of referring to his humanity. But there is a passage in Daniel chapter 7 where the Messiah is declared to be the son of man. And that's the way Jesus used it regarding himself. He is the son of man. He is, the, he is that messianic figure. And so he says to them, he began to teach them that the son of man. So he wants them to know, yes, you're, you're partially right. The son of man. And in their minds, that would take them back to that great passage in Daniel that speaks of the ultimate kingdom, universal kingdom that the Messiah would establish. Let me read it to you from Daniel chapter 7. It says this, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like, here it is, the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom the one that will never be destroyed. Yes, that's it. You're right. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And now let me tell you about the Son of Man. So in their mind, Son of Man, right, that's it. That's the picture. But Jesus says, but we're not going to get there the way you think. Yes, we're going to get there. That revelation in Daniel is going to be realized. That, that is going to happen. But it's going to happen through a process that they had not even imagined. And he goes on to say, that the Son of Man, and I want you to notice this one little word, must. We're going to come back to this next week and look at this. I was trying to fit all of this into my message, and at like 12.30 last night, I realized I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put three messages into one. So forget that. We're going to come back and look at this. But I want to touch on it right now. But, but notice that imperative. The Son of Man must. He must. It is absolutely necessary. And we'll come back and look at why. But what must he do? Well, he must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes. He must be killed. And now here's the twist on it. And the third day, he must rise again. 
So you see, they were right about who Jesus was, and they were right about what he would ultimately do. They just did not understand that the process was going to be entirely different than they ever imagined. It wasn't going to be like they thought. It wasn't going to be the Messiah riding in on a white stallion with the armies behind him and overthrowing the oppressive Romans. That's not how it was going to work. No, he was going to do battle against forces that were much more formidable than the Romans. He was going to battle the devil and the demons and sin and death itself. And you see, that's what Christ did. He dealt with the root of the problem. You see, even to this very day, all of the efforts by, by people to fix the world are basically just trying to deal with the symptoms. All of the problems in the world today are symptoms of something else. That's why they, they never go away. You know, they never go away. You, you, for a while, you think we, we've got this dealt with, we've got this covered. You know, how many times have we heard th- this idea that, you know, in, in our day, there's going to be peace? And it's like no sooner does somebody say that than a war breaks out somewhere. You know, it's like if you have a lawn and you, you notice in your lawn that you've got patches of weeds, and, and you know, they don't. They don't fit in there. They're not supposed to be there. And so you decide, okay, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to get my lawnmower and I'm going to go out and I'm going to cut those weeds down. And you are going to do that. And then for just a brief amount of time, you can look out at your backyard and it's like, all right, dealt with a problem. No more weeds. I don't see any more weeds. And no little flowers sprouting up and things. It's just all nice green grass. But you know what? Give it enough time and guess what? Those are going to come right back. Why? Because the root is still there. The only way that's going to change is if you get out there, you know, and dig your fingers down or get your little shovel or fork or whatever you're going to use. You got to go down and you got to get that thing out by the root. That's the only way you're going to rid your garden or your lawn of weeds. And that is the same kind of picture of the weeds of sin that just continue to grow and, and blossom amongst human beings. Oh, we have these temporary fixes. We have these moments where we got, we've got all of this taken care of now. It's all under control. And then before you know it, something else is cropping up again. That's what happens when you only deal with symptoms. The root has to be pulled out. And that is what Jesus did. He got to the root of the problem. The problem is sin. And he came and he dealt with sin. The problem is Satan. These these powerful spirits that are working and manipulating and controlling from behind the scenes. The thing is, and we'll try to develop this more next time, but The link between Satan and human beings is sin. See, human beings were deceived by the devil into joining his rebellion. And so there's this thing that ties us to the devil. It's called sin. That's the chain that binds us to him and his control over our lives. So what does Jesus do? He comes and he deals with that. He deals with sin itself. 
He breaks that link between us and the devil. He sets us free. And so we can now go on to flourish and to, and to be blessed and to prosper spiritually because of what he's done. But that's what we have to remember. Now, the great news is that he's going to do it on a universal scale in the future. Just like the prophecy said, the son of man, to him, dominion is going to be given over all people, all nations, all languages. Everybody is going to come under his authority ultimately. But presently, it really comes down to the individual lordship of Jesus over individual people. Now, one other thing here in verse 31. So he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed, but he's going to rise. And the resurrection is going to be the proof that the plan has been initiated. The kingdom has been inaugurated. And, and one day the son of man will receive the fullness of the kingdom that the ancient of days promised to him. And it's through the cross that all of this was accomplished. As Paul writes to the Colossians, he says that it was through the cross that Jesus displayed his victory over the principalities and the powers. Those terms are references to the, the invisible spirits that control the world. It was on the cross that Jesus defeated them. And his being lifted up on the cross was the, the public notice that he had won the victory and it was confirmed through the resurrection. So as we close, here's what we need to understand. We've, we've mentioned this before, but let me just say it again. We live in the already, but not yet. So on the one hand, we need to realize, yes, Jesus is the Christ. He has come. He's the Messiah. And he has inaugurated the kingdom and individual people like us and anybody else on planet earth can now enter the kingdom in this phase that it's in through trusting the king, through bowing the knee to the king. And so we can enter the kingdom now. It's already here in one sense, but it's not here in its fullest sense. That, that is yet to come in the future. And so we live with that tension between the already and the not yet. We are part of the kingdom now, but the kingdom is not fully realized. It will be fully realized in the future. And so we have the benefit of the kingdom, but just not the full experience of the kingdom. That, that will come. And so we, we live with that future fulfillment in mind. We long for that day. And we long for more people to enter the kingdom as we await that day. Now, what this teaches us clearly is that there is only one Messiah. There's, there's only one Messiah and, and that Messiah is Jesus. All others are false and powerless to save. You know, we're, we're living in a time of, it's like there's messianic fervor in the culture. You know, I, it, it's amazing to me to see how there's so much 
expectation in the culture of, of something that's going to save, something that's going to really you know, bring in that, that perfect world. And we have this, you know, this huge emphasis on social justice that's kind of come up in the culture. What, what is that all about? That's all about a utopia. We're going we're gonna to create a, a utopia. We're going to create a perfect world. And we're looking for, uh, I'm either looking to be someone's Messiah or I'm looking for a Messiah. It's funny how just kind of life and conversations come together sometimes to enhance preaching. So Cheryl was in London a couple of weeks ago, and she, she was at church on Sunday morning at Reality, and uh, Tim Chaddock was preaching. Tim's a pastor there. And she said Tim was uh, doing a message on, I think it was like four things that'll cause you to burn out. And, and one of them is you, if you have a messianic complex, you burn out. And Cheryl said, I realized I have a messianic complex. I, I want to save everybody. I want to fix everything. I, I, I want to make sure everybody is happy. And I said, oh, honey, you do have that. You need to get rid of that messianic complex because, you know, when, you're, when we're driving down the street, this is part of the problem. You're just so worried about how everybody's going to be offended by the way I drive and I change lanes and I can't change, I can't change lanes like that. I, I got to put on my blinker. You know, all of this stuff, you're always like harassing me. I understand now it's your messianic complex that's doing this to you and oppressing me. So I agree. Stop it. Get rid of that. She's like, man, I'm just getting worn out with this, trying to, trying to fix everything. She was telling my daughter this, who was just with us. And she went home to New York yesterday, and, and Kristen said, well, of course, Mom, all mothers have a messianic complex because everybody wants us to fix everything for them. You know, the kids, Mom, do this for me. Mom, what about that? Mom, how come this? And, of course, the husbands want that too. But that as Cheryl was telling me about how that really kind of pierced her when she was there in London listening to Tim, uh, it just led us to a conversation beyond that about, yes, this is, this is like what's happening in the culture today. And for some people, it's a person, that's a Messiah. And if it's just, you know, and if this person was in charge, then everything would be amazing. And for some people, it's an idea. For some people, it's an identity. And if I just had this identity, then that would, that, would be, that would save me. And then I would enter into this full, wonderful experience of life that's been evading me. But listen, no, it won't happen. These are all false messiahs. False messiahs don't deliver. They can never deliver what they promise. They're false. There's only one messiah. And there's only one who's going to bring in the messianic age, and that's Jesus. But you know... The world is being primed for a, a false Messiah that will come. There will come a man onto the scene of the earth at some time who is going to fool everybody into thinking that he's the Messiah that's going to bring about the kingdom and he's going to bring about the greatest destruction that the planet has ever known. But that's where all false messiahs take you. They all take you down into the pit. They, you know, even if there's a temporary time of prosperity and excitement and, and look at how wonderful it is. It's short-lived. It won't last. It'll all crumble, ultimately. And let's understand that. 
You know, back in the history of Israel, they rejected the true Messiah. You know, the, the, the nation of Israel, there were a number of false messiahs that came, came before Jesus, false messiahs came after Jesus. But probably the most notable one in the history of Israel was a man who came in 135 AD, and he was known as Bar Koba, and that name means son of the star. And in, back in the prophecy in Numbers, there was a prophecy back there that said, uh, a star shall come out of Israel. So they named this guy the son of the star. And he put himself forth as, as the Messiah of Israel. Now, they had rejected Jesus many, many years earlier, many decades earlier. But now Barcoba is there. He rises up a revolt against Rome. He has coins printed. You can, have, you can see Barcoba coins even today if you go to Israel. He has coins minted, says the son of the star on the coin. He was the Messiah in the minds of many Jews at the time. And there was a short period of time where it seemed like he's going to do it. He's going to bring us liberation. He's going to bring all the promises and the blessings upon us. And the Romans killed him. And his whole effort vanished. And you know what they also did? The Romans at that point, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They completely wiped it off the, the, the earth and they changed the name. And for centuries, Jerusalem was not called Jerusalem. That, that's a lesson. That's what Barcobas will do. That's what false messiahs will do. Whether it's like I said, a person, or it's an idea, or it's an identity. There's only one Messiah. There's only one Savior. There's only one who can bring in a messianic age. That's Jesus. And there's only one who can bring you into the kingdom and into righteousness, peace, and joy, and that's Jesus. So don't get ripped off by a false Messiah. Don't fall for those deceptive promises that if you just follow this and do that, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. No, it, it will not end well. It will only end well for those who follow and call upon Jesus, the true Messiah. And that's what Peter and the other disciples discovered that day. And even though the plan was different. They got it right. Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, they followed him, even though the plan was different. And they followed him and discovered that even though it was a different plan, it was the best plan. So you might be thinking, well, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't like that way. Suffering and rejection and Dying, I, I don't want that in my plan. You know what? Trust me, God's plan is the best. You can't improve on it. Because remember, at the end of that, there's resurrection. And it might be more difficult and more challenging to follow Jesus. But the end of it is well worth it. Now let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. 
Hi, Pastor Brian here. We are hearing so much in the culture today about transgender identities and so forth. And so the book that I want to recommend is going to help you think through that. The book is called Embodied Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. The author is Preston Sprinkle. Preston has a PhD in New Testament theology, but he's really made this an area of deep, deep study and expertise, does an excellent job. This is something that we need to know how to navigate. So once again, the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle, it will help you to know what the Bible says and how to navigate around the issues of transgenderism. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. You can order the book Embodied by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle to help you navigate the issues surrounding transgenderism. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.